0: A main piece of our trade bait board got dealt after we taped the last episode, dating our podcast before it was even released. Uh, So we'll talk about that. Thank you, Mark Bergerman. Also, (laughs) Tyler Sagan got his money's worth in Dallas. Thank you, Jim Nill. We have some new captains to announce, An NHL legend says goodbye to his playing days. And it's a great day to be an Ottawa Senators fan because Eric Carlson is still with the team.
1: Uh, Steve, uh, you might want to, I think uh, he he uh, got traded.
0: <laughs> well, you see, he's been close to being traded several times, and that's ever since, man, no. nightmare. No, got- I, I nightmare. I can prove to you, I, I'm just going to look on the interweb here, and oh my God, they actually traded him. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Steve Ellsworth, and I'm dying inside.
1: <laughs> I'm Brett Duboff.
0: And we're going to talk about the Eric Carlson trade, I guess, and yeah. possibly the end of the auto centers as we know it. But first, before we do that, let's delve into the Hockey Hall of Fame book of trivia. Brett, are you ready for this week's question? Yes. Okay, question 26, if I can find it here. Uh, Okay. Prior to Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin doing it with the Pittsburgh Penguins in 2006-2007, which Hall of Famers were the last teammates to win the NHL scoring and rookie scoring races in the same year? Is it A... Bobby Hall and Bill Hay with the Chicago Blackhawks, B Brian Trottier and Mike Bossy with the New York Islanders, C Mario Lemieux and Jaromir Jagr with the Pittsburgh with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Sorry, or D, it never happened before Crosby and Malkin did it.
1: That's a I really, I never have any idea on any of these. Uh... Let's just say it never happened before with Crosby or Malkin. Uh, It
0: did happen before, and it was Bobby Hull and Bill Hay with the Hawks. That's a tough question,
1: though. My second guess would have been Mario, but yeah, that that is a tough question. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Bobby Hull, you know, you you can criticize Bobby Hull for his personality, but eh, heck of a hockey player.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, he was also a domestic... Abuser, but yes, you're right. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's
0: what I mean, by personality.
1: Right, right. Um, The... uh, Okay, yeah, so to start things off, uh, Carlson finally gets traded. It was actually... um, So, as a Bruins fan, I know all too well about uh, trading superstars. So this is is actually... No, this is Steve's, like, second time, right? Because, like, Jason Spezza was traded... Uh, Alfredson was, well, Alfredson went through free agency. Um, but this might be the biggest trade in Steve Senn's fan life. But this is like, to me, this is like uh, Joe Thornton or Tyler Sagan. It's like, all right, I've been through, I, I know what it's like, Steve, um, <laughs> somewhat. Um, but Eric Carlson gets traded to the Sharks. Um, Also, to join Joe Thornton, speaking of Joe Thornton, um, and Francis Perron, for Chris Tierney, Dylan DeMello, Josh Norris, Rudolph Balkers, a 2020 conditional first, a 2019 conditional second, and a 2021 conditional second as well. I'll get through all the conditions in a second. Um, I just wanted to say that this is already a better return than what the Bruins got for Joe Thornton and arguably what a better return than uh, Tyler Sagan. Although we'll see Um, if the Sharks miss the playoffs this season, that 2020 first will be a 2019 first. um, And that's because the Sabres have the Sharks pick in, if they make the playoffs, um, that's through the, um, Evander yeah, Kane that, that trade. was
0: through the Evander Kane trade because he signed an extension. Right. right,
1: and it was like for some reason it was like through 2020, um, even though it could have, or it was a 2019, even though it could have been a 2018. Um, but uh, it was all that trade, that pick was in lottery protected. So, um, so like, let's say the Sharks don't somehow don't make the playoffs. Uh, the Sens get the 2019 first, and then the Sabers get the 2020 first. Um, the uh, Carlson, and then if Carlson signs an extension with the Sharks, and the Sharks make the the uh, the Stanley Cup Final, the 2022nd becomes a 2021 first, um, and then lastly, which is pretty kind of silly if you think about it, but it is it is also funny considering what happened with these two teams this offseason. If Carlson is on an Eastern Conference team at any point this season, the Sens will get an additional first-round pick no later than 2022. Um, and otherwise known as the Hoffman Clause, if you remember back in, I think it was June, maybe, maybe it was early July where uh, Hoffman gets traded to the Sharks because they, I guess, the Sens wanted to offend, uh, to um, to kind of uh, persuade Carlson staying, So they trade him over to the Sharks, and then uh, the whole reason why they did that was because they didn't want him in the Eastern Conference and in his division, and in the same division. Um, and then the Sharks just uh, traded him again um, like... Within, hour, within an hour, uh, to the Panthers. Um, so the, the Sens didn't want this to happen again, where Carlson was traded all the way back to the Tampa Bay Lightning for some reason. Um, so um, what is funny, though, when you actually think about it, is because like, the reason why the Sharks even have the cap space to take on Carlson is because of that Hoffman, what they did with Hoffman, and just traded... Yeah, um, cap space. Uh, it's funny years.
0: how they—it's it, funny how they trade for Hoffman, right? Trade him to Florida, and their reward is Carlson.
1: Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give uh, Steve the floor here, just to rant. Uh, you can take it anywhere. I do have some questions, as you know, but, um, but I figure since this is your favorite player, this is probably the the lowest point in Sens franchise history. Um, I figure it w- just wouldn't be justice with me <laughs> analyzing it first. So, uh, take it away, Steve.
0: Well, I, I find it funny that whenever the Sens have a distraction or a problem that they need to solve, they always turn to San Jose. There's the Danny Heatley thing before the Mike Hoffman stuff, and then there was the Mike Hoffman stuff. And then the whole, you know, paying Eric Carlson probably over $10 million per year was probably too much for Melnick to take, so um they end up shipping uh, eric carlson to san jose and i listened to his goodbye press conference he sounded sad sounded like a guy that didn't want to leave this city uh and pierre dorian said so himself eric carlson never requested a trade so for anyone of you um thinking make an argument that he wanted out he didn't but it really goes to show you how much that my team has changed over the past six months. Like I walk into my work studio where I work. There's a Senn store right below where I work. They still have FNUF and Broussard jerseys hanging up there. That's that's how dated the merchandise yeah. is. And now the Carlson jersey is a collector's item. I look at the immediate return in this deal, it's not that great. Like DeMello's probably gonna be a top four defenseman, not a top two or a top three in my opinion. Chris Tierney got 17 goals and 40 points last year, which were career highs, and he hasn't been in the league that long, so I guess they're banking on uh, more upside from him. But right now, he's in between a top six, bottom six, four. Josh Norris, good friends with Bray Kachuk. That's great. (laughs) Um, How good is he? I haven't really heard much of this kid. Same with uh, the Bolsters. Those, Those are the guys that are expected to make this trade worth something. It it goes to show you that this team is banking on the future and not the immediate return, regardless of how good uh, these young prospects are. um, They're not going to be looking to the veteran players. And we're going to talk about that later on, because prior to this, this whole Carlson thing on us, um, there was this very—I don't even know how to describe it. One word is "we," and that this franchise is going in. And I—I I, I got enough quality in this trade. Like, like, like I said, you don't are going to turn into Carlson. Didn't even get thirty points in his year. We didn't know he is sort of a hockey player, so rookies are a different breed you know they might have one good year and they might not be able to live up to that one good year or they may start off slow and then slowly pick it up it's evaluate uh some talent when when you don't really know what you're getting and that's the danger of going this young approach because i i i get that the sins want to get young and they want to get fast but it, you're asking for trouble if you're trying to get too, too young, too, too fast. Like, to be a good returner, Matt, the other way, frickin' Carlson, what i talking about.
1: Right. Um, I just wanted to just bite in just for a second here. Uh, I just looked this up. Josh Norris uh, went to uh, the University of Michigan. It looks like he's going again. Uh, this year, but he had 23 points in 37 games last year. And then Rudolph Balkers actually played in the AHL a bit for the San Jose Barracuda. Um, he had 48 points in 67 games. So not too bad, um, but, you know, I guess it could be better for both of these guys. Um, I don't know if I, I didn't want to cut in on your rant, but I guess I, I did. Um do you have anything else to That's say? That's totally
0: fine. I, I, I wanted to take a bit of a break in, in the conversation. Okay. Because uh, there's there's a lot to talk about from a sense perspective.
1: Yeah. No. And, and, and one of the,
0: the things that I wanted to ask you about, if your Dorian was going to lose no matter what he did, because right. I think he was screwed to begin with. Yeah. Because when you have a video like that coming up from the team's owner saying, how young they're going to get, GMs immediately take note of this and think, let's just play the waiting game here. Why do we have to give up a good bunch of assets to Ottawa if you feel like if we feel like we have a good chance at landing him on July first. Right. So if Pierre Dorian thought that this was the best offer that the Sens were going to get for Eric Carlson and there wouldn't be a better one down the line, I could see why he took that trade. Yeah. But like, even if this trade call is worth it, Dorian's going to lose because they could get the best return available.
1: Right. People yes. would still
0: say, yeah, but you traded away Eric Carlson, the most talented player in Sens history, right. in his prime. And now the Sens fans, all they can do is just trust the management and hope it's actually going to pay off.
1: Right. Well, I mean, that, that's where this Joe Thornton thing comes in because that's what the Bruins did uh, like 10 years ago. Um, but, yeah, no, you're right. In terms of, like, I don't think, like, when you're going to, like, tr- it wasn't necessarily that they traded Carlson – or, like, the return they got, because we all knew the return wasn't going to be as good as it should be, because it's, you know, Eric Carlson we're talking about. Um, or it isn't even really, like, I don't know, just the whole, like, factor of, like, just just being hit It was just more like, um, you know, you have this owner, Melnick, who um, who is cheap. Um and historically cheap and then uh, Eric Carlson said about a year from now a year ago that like oh I'm gonna be paid what I'm worth and that's fine because you know he deserves to be paid what he's worth and that's that's unfortunately that's something that Melnick uh didn't feel like he uh, he wants to pay that so so I think it was like said that is
0: is to send a message to the Sens ownership right because like. like he's close friends with Alfie Went through they shortchanged him too.
1: Right, and I know that like Carlson was saying that he didn't want to leave and uh, he never requested a trade. But I'm gonna say that's probably. I mean that that he probably technically never asked for a trade. But when he publicly says something like that, and I'm sure he knows Melnick well enough that when he says something like, "Hey, I'm gonna be paid what I'm worth." Like, I don't care what team it is, but I'm going to be paid what I'm worth. That's kind of saying that, like, I don't care what team I'm going to. I, I want to be paid what I'm worth. Um, so I know that he technically never requested a trade and he never wants to leave, which is fine. I'm sure he loves Ottawa. Um, I mean, his wife is from there um, and all that stuff. But it's the, you know, it's just, it seems like, I, it feels like the the main the only reason why he was traded was because he because of his disagreement with Melnick and and like Doran kind of had was in a uncomfortable position because he had to trade his best player um, and like ruin the fan base um, because of because of the disagreement between what Melnick wanted and what Eric Carlson wanted. And, um, so I, I don't know. I think that's what it comes down to really. Um, and also within all of this stuff is like, sure, all this, like, you know, the, uh, the senators got a lot of picks. They got a lot of prospects. Um, but they still don't. They don't even have a first-round pick this year in the 2019, um, because they traded that away to Colorado. Yeah, they
0: don't really have a sol- They don't really right. have a solid pick. Like they have c- conditions tied to those first and second. Right. But they don't like have a l- legit solid pick. And first, you know, what are the odds that the San Jose Sharks are going to do crap this year? Right. They're exactly. Be making the playoffs, they're probably going to go deep. Eighteen.
1: Right, so if you are going to make a trade like this, it's 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 just it's just unfortunate because they don't even have their first round pick, and that pick, so they can't even really tank properly and get this Jack Hughes because the Colorado Avalanche have that pick. Um, so that's what's uh, that's what's a little bit that's what makes it a little bit different and even more dire. Um, it's because it's like, oh, we don't even we don't even have a chance to get a top pick because even if, even if we likely do stink this year. So it's, it's just a little, it's just a little strange in that regard. Um, yeah. And I, I guess, uh, oh, right, right. right. So we're going to also talk about, so apparently, um, Steve did mention this a bit, um, beforehand was that Melnick, um, and Barowetzky, Baroweky, um, had a video which was a little weird too because Melnick was wearing like a jersey, and it was weird too because it's like, why is Baroweky even um, interviewing him? Because like he's not really a face of the franchise kind of thing. Like I could understand if it was Duchesne or if it was Mark Stone. Um, <laughs> it would be funny if it was Eric Carlson there, but it, it would just. Or, like, even, like, Craig Anderson or something. But, like, Barowecki he's, like, a third-pairing guy. Um, it, it's, it was just a strange thing to have him be the interviewer of Melnick. Um, and then uh, and then uh, Melnick was basically saying what, what Steve had already said, was, like, he was saying that we're going younger, um, and he can't wait for fans to see this rebuild Um, and all that stuff, and mind you, this was like two days before Eric Carlson gets treated, so it was all like, everything was like, they were kind of like trying to save face into, it felt like that way, where they were trying to save face before the actual storm, of because they knew that by treating Eric Carlson, that's going to send a ripple to the fan base, and it already has, and you know, there's nothing they can really stop that, but just the factor of actually having this video out where it's like Melnick saying like, uh, yeah, we're going to rebuild and we, we can't wait for fans to see how young we are. It's just like, it was just a weirdly tone deaf, um, video there. Um, so Steve, as a Sens fan, what do you think of this Eugene Melnick Barowiecki video?
0: Uh, is cringeworthy an uh, accurate way to describe this? Because that's one of the yeah. things that comes to my mind. It was like, also cringeworthy, This, uh, yes. Yeah, like, this is a five-minute video of just a Sens player talking with the Sens owner. The Sens player probably can't really ask him too many constructive questions, if any at all, because, you know, he's trying to keep his job. This being posted to Twitter, so what are the odds that all the backlash is going to be seen by Eugene like probably zero. And on top of that, there's no media to really be constructive and ask the tough questions. So like how many answers are we really getting in this interview? The only thing we're getting in this interview is a rough estimate of what this team is going to look like um, this year, next year, a couple of years down the road. And when I, Listen to some of the key points that Melnick brought up. It it was scary to think about because he's talking about ten people on this year's roster that he classifies as new guys. Rookies, guys that have played ten few ten or fewer games in the NHL last year, those type of guys. Following season it goes up to fifteen or sixteen. And after this year, you're gonna have to pay Matthew Shane and Mark Stone, or they walk away for nothing. Um and I, I'm just thinking loud about those stats and a, a quote from Kyle Turris comes up. Now, this is back about a month after he was traded as part of the three-way that saw Matt Duchesne come to Ottawa. And Turris said, it's tough because I think management did want to sign me, but I think the owner didn't, and that was his decision. And right. then Dorian responds to that by saying, all hockey decisions go through me, not Mr. Melnick. That was back in December 2017. Those are oddly specific numbers that Melnick's putting out, isn't it, Brad?
1: Right, it is, yes.
0: Especially for the season after this year. So, my question is, where is Eugene Melnick getting those numbers from? Are they coming from Guy Boucher and Pierre Dorian? Or are they coming straight from him? Because everyone knows that they have a role to play in whatever they do. So, like... I have a job, I'm a board op, I'm, I'm a producer, I push buttons, I take calls. I'm not a show host, right? right. Would, like Basically, butting into the show host, you know? yeah. like that, that's not your job. Your right. job is to stick to what you're signed up for. Yeah. It is. In Pierre Dorian's case, it's making the tough decisions, and they gave him a three-year extension to do that. Right. For the coaching staff, it's to make the most of what uh, pieces they have And they determine who makes the team. And I know the owner hires the people and pays the bills, but if Melnick is providing these numbers straight through him, this is the Eugene Melnick rebuild, not the Ottawa Senators rebuild.
1: Right. Well, that kind of brings back to my point on why R. Carlson was even traded to begin with. It wasn't necessarily that, like, you know, like Dorian probably wanted to keep him. But it's because Melnick was kind of just being you know Melnick and Carlson just didn't get along um and I feel like I feel like Melnick's calling the shots where it's like I kind of just feel bad for Dorian even because it's like you know this is his job is like basically just do what Melnick is telling him to do um and i i I wouldn't be surprised if Melnick gave Dorian a certain date for when he has to trade Carlson. And so, like, you know, you were talking early on in the show where uh, you're saying, like, could could there have been a better return? Yes, Um, you know, later in the year or something like that. But, um, yes, there could have. But I I think Melnick was saying, like, you have to get this trade done before training camp. You have to. Um, So I think there was something to that where, um, I think Melnick is calling all the shots, um, and that kind of makes me and it feel... it was bad.
0: determined that they were going to be headed in a rebuild direction, apparently, yeah. in February of
1: 2018. Right, right. Uh, we have to get a little bit going. Um, we do, do, do have to talk about, uh, so let's, let's say, so this obviously makes the Sharks a better team um, in the short term, uh, you know Carlson and Burns. I I don't think they could be a pair because they're both right-handed shot defensemen. But that's um, <laughs> still pretty good that you have like three the the two Norris Trophy winners, the last two of like well uh, Burns well Burns has won two and uh, Carlson has won one. Um, you know like on the same team. I don't think this has ever happened before where like two of like defensemen of this caliber have been on the same team I was trying to think like I guess the closest is Suban and Yossi but uh Burns and Carlson are better I think we would both agree on that um but like even in the past I don't think like any team like really just has one elite defenseman not two um I guess the closest maybe is Nick Lindstrom and uh I don't know uh didn't they have like Cronwall, I guess if you count him, um as an elite defenseman, but um back in the day, but oh Ray Bork and um Adam Foote I think were uh, were teammates, um so in Colorado. But uh I think that's a yeah it's like it just harkens back to just defensemen there. But yeah, so I think this, this means that the Sharks are going for it. Uh, clearly, if they weren't going for it before, because that Evander Kane trade was also a, yeah, we're going for it now kind of thing. And I guess they should, because they, you know, Joe Thornton's not getting any younger. Uh, Pavelski, as well, is pretty old, too. But um, the one concern I do have for the Sharks is just their goalie. I don't know if Martin Jones is going to be that guy for them uh, come playoff time. But uh, we'll see, you know, it's <laughs> getting Carlson's a good start, and um, it'll be interesting to see. Because you also have Vlasic, and Vlasic is, you know, I mean, Burns and Carlson aren't as great defensively, although Carlson has been better later on in his career, um, but Vlasic is like the true defensive guy there. Justin Braun's pretty underrated in terms of defense, so... Um, so they definitely have a, de- a strong defensive core, um, but I don't know if they necessarily, um, just the goalie, <laughs> that's a pretty important um, aspect of things, and I'm not sure if Martin Jones is the right guy.
0: Uh, well, either way, the Sharks, like you said, you, they're they're primed for success because they have two of the top five defensemen in the league, right. and both of them shoot right, so... Brent Burns can be skating while Eric Carlson is sitting and watching, and then when the line
1: change is made, Carlson's on the ice and Burns can just watch him go. Right, you're going to have to deal with either Carlson or Burns if you're opposing yeah. team. They're, just like, you're, like yeah. you'd be dealing with Tavares on one
0: line of the Leafs and then Matthews on
1: the right. next. But, like, but like, unlike that, there's there could be like minutes where both Tavares and Matthews aren't on the ice, whereas this, there's probably going to be like two minutes where Burns and Carlson aren't on the ice. And that power play, that's going to be a sick power play uh, too. Cause you have Burns and Carlson and then you probably have like yeah, the- Kutcher, Pavelski and uh, Evander Kane or something.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Evander Kane is a good shot generator. So is Brent Burns, Eric right. Carlson as well. So yeah. like they've, they've got a lot of power up for sure offensively. And as well, they have still have Mark Edward Vlasic who, is a quality shutdown defenseman that I don't think gets enough credit for the work that yeah. he does. Like, he, like in the playoffs against Pittsburgh, he was char- in charge of shutting down Sidney Crosby. Right. So he, he's getting the big defensive assignments still. Yeah. And what's also important to note is that the Sharks, out of the two... Like, I know L.A. is pretty good and Calgary and Edmonton are pretty good. Vegas has added some pieces. But... They're gonna have their work cut out for them yep. whenever they're taking on the San Jose Sharks.
1: Yeah, and, no, you're right. And
0: the San Jose Sharks are they're they're in my opinion in the exact opposite position of where Ottawa is. Everyone probably wants to play for the San Jose Sharks. Like, how could you not play for the San Jose Sharks with True. the type of the team that they have? Yeah. And you look at the and you look at the Sens defense here, with the absence of Carlson. You're going to have Cody Ceci getting more ice time. You're going to have Mark Boriewski getting more ice time.
1: Thomas Chabot is Shibata.
0: probably going to be a top three defenseman. He's going to be thrusted into a bigger role, and and that worries me uh, from the sense side of things because you're relying on a lot of your youth. Yeah. And we saw what happened when they rushed Jared Cowan. Maybe they've already rushed Cody Ceci as well. They, they can't afford to have that happen to Thomas Shabbat because if you get more and more damaged goods, if you rush these people so quickly and they all don't turn out to be the players that you thought they would, you basically just wasted four years and you're stuck at square one. True. You're not as good as you think you're going to be. And, yes. that's, and that brings back to why I fear the worst for the Sens because even if they start to get good again, Name me a player that's going to bother to sign with that circus with Eugene Melnick at the helm.
1: Yeah, I think it's I think it's pretty clear that Melnick has to go uh, just throughout this whole mess. Like, you know, like even he, he botched up the Daniel Alfredson mess and the yeah. Jason Spezza stuff was also kind of uh, contentious as well. So, um, you know, he kind of like blew up every... Every uh, key player, a franchise guy, um, you know, and pissed them off. And, so and if they don't get Matt Duchesne signed, like right. I think that's a bit more against Melnick
0: because Pierre Dorian wanted that guy eighteen months before that he got yeah. him and he gave he the trade.
1: and he gave up a first round pick before they knew that they were gonna be bad. So it's like, uh, yeah, for Duchene. I think Mark Stone is also. It's just, it's just incredible yeah. that the Sens
0: think they could be a good rebuilding team without Carlson. Like,
1: right. they they could absolutely
0: be a good team if with Carlson in front of a rebuild, they could be.
1: They could be, yeah. No, I agree. And but like, it's also what the added thing of like that Colorado has their pick. It's just, just that added thing of like, well. You know, Colorado's probably going to get Jack Hughes now. It's like so you, you know, it, <laughs> well, that's, and that, that 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 should be the biggest nightmare for every Sens player, every Sens fan, every Sens management is try not to, uh, try not to suck enough where the Avalanche get Jack Hughes. Um.
0: Honestly, <laughs> I'm I'm not as much worried about that because. If, let, 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 let's let say they gave Colorado the pick they could have used to take Brady Kachuk. Let's say that. Yep. Let's say they're as bad as they think they're going to be. What if they lose the lottery and they don't get Jack Hughes and they don't get Brady Kachuk?
1: Right, no, no. I'm not saying that, like, I'm not saying that they shouldn't have, like, given up Brady Kachuk or the fourth yeah. pick. This it's year, just, it's, but I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, saying that at the like. Risk of taking Kachuk than I am at maybe getting Jack Hughes. But I, I'm just saying though that like, let's say the Sens are the worst team in the league, which is mm-hmm. still po- very possible. Um, yeah. They have they have a shot at getting you know like of course like the last team doesn't always win the lottery. But Especially over the past few years it, it right. hasn't happened all that long. but it does get you at most or at least the fourth overall pick. So you're you know, so even still you're you're gonna lose a prospect or a top end prospect when like the the Sens deserve that pick more than the Avalanche do.
0: Yeah. Um, so, so you're right about that,
1: yeah. So, so that that's what I'm talking about. It like I and I understand that they. I think they should, probably should have still gone that fourth overall pick in 2017 because that sends a an even worse message uh, to, to everyone That's saying like we know that we're not gonna be good this year, so we're gonna forfeit our pick this year because we don't want to deal with that. So, uh, from that aspect, I understand it. But I think it's just, just a weird situation. Yeah, um, I think they'd be trying to save face at that
0: point, just like they'd be saving face with, right. the, with the Mike Hoffman situation, yeah. too, just to make it seem like they were trying to keep Eric Carlson and
1: do their due diligence, when in reality, they were probably going to get rid of him anyway. Right. Yeah, so as for the Sharks and the Sens, I don't want to say that the Sens are going to win. The, get the draft, and I don't want to say the Sharks are going to win the Stanley Cup because I still feel like it's so early, and it, you know. But um, at the same time, I think the Sharks are probably the favorite for the Western to be in the Stanley Cup final. Um, and I think the... Uh, uh, assuming everything goes well, and I assume the Sens are going to be a bottom dweller um, this season. Um, and I mean... That, I mean, that kind of already didn't really change um, from this trade. As for long-term, the Sharks don't have a first-round pick for a while now, it seems like, whether it's the Sabres or whether it's the Senators, um, it seems like the, <laughs> the, the, the Senators are going to get a first-round pick at one at some point um, if they do re-sign Eric Carlson. Um, so, uh, just in the... The short term, uh, in the long term, for the sharks, I I don't think it's um, it's gonna be um, great for them. But you know, it, it makes sense that they're going for it now because Joe Thornton's forty years old. When is he gonna get a cup? Um, if not now, so that I makes think, you know. I think uh, the odds of them
0: signing Carlson are pretty strong too. Yeah. Um, I as I I think. I know they; it might mean costing them Joe Pavelski. Right. But I would take losing Joe Pavelski and gaining Eric Carlson any day. Right?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I have to look more closely into their cap situation, but I think they can manage to make it work um, somehow. Um, but, I mean, it's probably because they were trying to... So, remember back in you know July 1st when they were trying to get jo- John Tavares... I um, mean, yeah. they didn't do it, and they were trying to get Kovalchuk, and they didn't get him. So, like, this is like, so now they have space to get Carlson. So, I don't think they have to lose too many players um, per se. But um, it seems like it would be strange to get rid of Pavelski, considering he's their captain. Um, but I think they could manage to make it work.
0: Um Yeah, I, I also I I mentioned several times on the podcast if Eric Carlson got traded, I would get a jersey of the team he was traded to and put Carlson's name on the back. Yeah. So San Jose Sharks, I'll be watching you a bit more often. Yep. With my Carlson jersey. Um as the sense, they haven't lost me yet. But um they they better be careful with which buttons they press because if it, like I, I love the team yeah but i'll be less enthused to go to hockey games if they continue to blow up the roster like this like give us give, give us
1: you know at least one star player to cheer for please right. yeah i think i think if no disrespect to all the other players you guys are good but right. No, no, no. Like You don't have the marketing power that girl. So, so, so let me, I just want clarification here. So let's say the Sens do like trade, uh, let's say Mark Stone and Matt Duchesne and Craig Anderson. Are you off the Senator's train?
0: I I mean, it partially depends on the return.
1: Right the overall
0: mood of this team and okay. how fans are feeling because I think you, a, lot, a lot of other people have said this is
1: the final straw they're not watching right. the Sens games anymore I think you could yeah it's funny too because like Melnick even started it because he was saying like no one's going to these games and like it's yeah, like yeah cause, cause <laughs> of, yeah because of the exterior problems that had nothing to do with the Sens right. now they're causing
0: problems
1: now, on their own yeah, now, now there's actual reason to not watch games um he's not to go yeah i was yeah i'm thinking like it's probably why he even did that video i think is cuz he was trying to save face with the fans cuz he noticed like no one has i think like there's less and less season tickets uh sold so he was trying to do this video it's like oh no everything's okay and all that stuff but yeah, it kind of backfired
0: yeah much. but things, uh but-
1: I, I think, like, the Sens could build around um, Mark Stone and Matt Duchesne. Um, they're both pretty underrated players. Um, and then, you know, like, Thomas Chabot looked pretty good in the second half. Um, he could be a good guy. Obviously, and, and he's so not going to so be... Obviously,
0: one of those, those hard guys that, yeah. um, like, even if he doesn't have the puck, he's always working hard. So he's yeah, exactly. good captain material.
1: And, obviously, he's not going to be an Eric Carlson. It's like, who is? So, like, as long as you don't compare him to Eric Carlson, I know that's going to be tough, but um, as long as you don't compare him to Eric Carlson, I think that's that's fine. But you do have a chip in that. Shabbat's probably going to be pretty good. Um, and then, you know, who knows with Brady Kachuk or Josh Norris or Rudolf Balkers, I know, uh, I think Belkers was one of the Sharks' top prospects. Um, and Josh Norris was supposedly pretty good, too, so, um, in college. I watched college, uh, Brady Kachuk at FanFest,
0: and uh, he scored yeah. two goals, I think. He scored at least one, and uh, he, he's he's shown a bit of chemistry with some of the Sens already, so, so uh, he's going to be
1: interesting to watch. So I think the Sens could be an interesting team, but not this year. Um, maybe yeah, not even next year. I think but, we're agreement on that, yeah. But um, I could see if like if things actually go well, like you know, with especially with Norris and Belkers, I think it could be okay. It's just right now it hurts a lot. Um, I'll tell you this much: it's because I remember back when Joe Thornton was traded. I was thinking like, oh God, like like who are these guys? And the only guy I even remember from that trade was Marco Sturm, and he only had, like, one good season for the Bruins. And and so now I'm, like, just thinking, like, from this trade, it's like, all right, Chris Tierney and Dylan DeMello could be, like, they're not great players, but they could be something. And then Josh Norris, Palkers, and then all these different picks. So it's like, it's like who knows what these guys could be, um, you know, especially considering we were just talking about it, and the Sharks in the long term. There is a very good potential that the Sharks are not going to be good in 2021 or 2020. So, uh, you know, we could see, you know, it would be interesting to see if, like, where those picks stack up. But it's it's definitely, I'm not saying that it's tough to lose Eric Carlson, but I'm going to be take the contrarian opinion and say that it's not terrible. Um, there is some glimmer of hope, I guess. Um,
0: I, I guess, as a sense, Fane, you can take solace in the fact that, um, you know, your division rival also lost their captain, so right. I guess they're suffering, maybe not as much, but they're suffering with you.
1: True. And also, like, you can also refer Carlson and the Sharks, because yeah, of this that's condition. What I'm doing. Yeah, because of this condition, of the, if Carlson signs an extension with the Sharks. And the Sharks make the Stanley Cup finals, you get a first, but it's gonna be in 2021, so three years from now. But you that is that does give you an incentive to root for uh the Sharks uh, because Certainly of that. Yeah. Well,
0: mostly because of like Carlson, that's why I'm rooting. Yeah, really
1: <laughs> that that too. Um <laughs> uh but like I was even like I was trying to think of I was gonna make like a scale of like how does this compare to bad Bruins trades? And, um, I was going to say that this is kind of like the Sagan trade, um, but it's also kind of like the Thornton trade just based off of, because Thornton was like a superstar when we traded him, where Sagan was an up-and-coming guy. So, um, but in terms of the actual return, this is more of a, a Sagan return, um, it has, it has a potential to be a Blake Wheeler, Wheeler type trade if the Senators miraculously get a Stanley Cup this year uh, with Chris Tierney and Dylan DeMello. Because that's what happened with uh, Blake Wheeler, if you don't remember. Blake Wheeler uh, was traded in 2011 um, at the deadline, uh, and they ended up getting Rich Peverly, and then the Bruins ended up winning the Cup, and Peverly was like a fourth-line guy for them. But um, obviously I'd rather have uh, Blake Wheeler right now. But... um, but it, it, it's hard to complain when you win a cup like that. Uh, but it, it could happen, I guess. The Sens could win the cup. Um, all right, right, let's. we have to get going, though, because we have yeah. a couple of other things that are important to talk about. Uh, Patrick, Pat, another uh, Atlantic Division uh, player gets traded, uh, as Steve was talking about. It's uh, a captain, Max Pecioretty. Um, gets traded, um, and they get uh, the uh, Montreal Canadiens get back Thomas Tatar, Nick Suzuki, in um, a 2019 second. Um, so already this is a better return than what they uh, what Carlson got um, in return, but or the Senators got in return. But um, yeah, I, I kind of like this deal. It it does make the Golden Knights. Um, much better than what I thought they would be. You um, know, I remember last, Well, speaking of last week's episode, we were all talking about how, like, well, if the car, if the if patches is going to be traded, they better get a center, um, and they, you know, it's it's going to be a part of their rebuild. And Nick Suzuki is that guy for the the Canadians, so you could build around. Uh, Kachinanemi, however you pronounce his name, and Nick Suzuki, but I don't think it's going to be this year, um, but it, it could be, um, I feel like it, they they shouldn't rush them, but I mean, <laughs> as, a, as a Bruins fan, maybe they should rush them, uh, but uh, so, um, there's that, and like, you know, a, 20, a 19 second is not bad, and the funnier thing is, like, Thomas Tatar, because the Knights got a lot in return for uh, for uh, uh, Tatar, because they gave him, like, a first, a second, and a third um, in, con- in, like, consecutive uh, drafts and stuff. So, I guess... Does
0: that make that Tatar trade worth it, or does it make it look less worse? Uh,
1: both. I think, like, if you're going to... Tr- because... Tatar could still be something. Um, but, like, if you're... Get, but Patches is more solid, because he's, he's a... Yeah, like, he's a consistent yeah. 30-goal scorer now. Right. You know what you're doing so, with Patch Ready. So, like, I think it is... It, it is in a way that I think is, this is a way of McPhee saying, like, okay, we messed up this Tatar, but we got Patches, which is even better. So, <laughs> I think it's, like, a... It's both... And also, it's like the knights have, already have a ton of draft picks already, so they weren't even really hurt from Tatar like losing Tatar because they already have like a ton of draft picks already. Um, I think like and maybe losing Nick Suzuki might hurt um, in the long term because I mean I do know they have Cody Glass, but it's like what other centers do they have in their prospect pool other than Nick Suzuki? So, um, so like, if the Knights are bad this year and they actually do trail off, which I don't know if it's possible now that they have Pacioretty, it's going to be, like, maybe, you know, like down the line. They don't really have other center prospects other than Cody Glass. Um, so... So that would be a little bit worrying, but um, at the moment, I don't think they have to worry about it.
0: Well, they can look at uh, Montreal's return, um, they, the, the the Canadians are, are kind of set for the future. Like like they had Bowling, they uh, they have Kaki and Amy, who they got in the draft. Now they have Nick Suzuki, um, and they. They also get a second-round pick with no ties attached to it, like patches, say, signing an extension, which we'll talk about because that actually did happen a couple of days after. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but to that second-round pick, there was no conditions. It's straight up you get a second-round pick. So considering what Bergevin was under, like EA Sports NHL disagree with this trade, but when you consider that... The Montreal Canadiens were kind of boxed into a corner when Pat just said, basically, uh, I'm not negotiating with you or anyone during the regular season, so if you don't sign me before opening night, I'm not talking until uh, the offseason. Um, so considering that the Habs were basically boxed into a corner and they had this deadline of getting a good deal, they end up getting a, a top three prospect from Vegas, a second-round pick. Um, that's that's still pretty. That's uh, on, honestly for a guy that had a year left on his deal. Under those circumstances, this is not a bad trade for Mark Bergevin. I'm actually, I'm actually kind of pleased.
1: Yeah, no, I it wasn't that, yeah, no, I agree. But it's when kind of shocking make this deal
0: because it, it's not, it's not gorgeous. It's not gorgeous. It's not sexy. But right. It's it's not it's not the worst deal that Vegas could have uh, that uh, the Canadians could have done with Vegas. Like it, it was it was a pretty good return in my opinion. Yeah. So um, there there's that, and like you said, you know Thomas Tatar, you know he, he could he could uh, bounce back and, and be a good a pretty good player for them. Um, but um, yeah, like like I said, Bergevin looks very good in this trade. But realistically speaking, the Vegas Golden Knights look even better. Yep, Like they're not even starting year two of this project. They've already made probably the biggest trade in franchise history. George McPhee has shown they're not afraid to make big moves to improve their team. They're still relatively young. Um, But what this trade does is it kind of limits their ability as far as solid prospects go. It limits their ability to how much those trade because they already traded a top three. Yep. I then Cody Glass becomes untouchable at this point. If he wasn't already, he definitely is now because, in my opinion, even if you're going after another big fish to make yourselves even better, you yep. can't compromise the future anymore. Cody Glass has got to be a part of your future because if they trade Cody Glass and Nick Suzuki, all of that hard work to get themselves three solid picks... You're
1: left with Nick Haig, who's a defenseman. Right. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, that that's the only worry about is their prospect pool. But at the same time, it's like they got this far for a reason. Like, it's not like you have to worry about it too much because they still have a lot of legitimate players on the team. You know, now and they, they also, have Pachareti. They also have cap space, too, because yeah. they only gained $800,000 in this transaction. Right. They have Marches. So. Um, you know, Shea Theodore, if he gets signed and, uh, they have, uh, you know, Flurry for a couple of years, maybe Malcolm Subin can be something. So, I mean, I think they're okay for the future, but it's, it, it might be tough, um, in a couple of years, but I do agree with you. I think this was the right move because Pacioretty is a better player than Thomas Tatar is. Uh, he's a pretty consistent 30 goal scorer. Um, although last year he didn't get 30 goals but I think he he missed like 20 games so um, so you have to take that into account but um, yeah I, I think this is a good move for patch for the the golden Knights because they have Stasny now and they have Pacioretty, Um and I wonder if like and so like in case um, William Carlson and Marcheau and Riley Smith don't actually, um you know repeat what they did last year at least they have patcheretti and uh, Stasny, who are veterans who can who can still perform um somewhat and uh so I think that is something to look forward to um in that sense and I remember last week I said that the the golden Knights aren't gonna make the playoffs I kind of want to rescind that opinion now <laughs> um so well, you got yeah
0: Time the season previews start next week, so yeah. we have time to readjust. True,
1: and uh, it was also funny because we were also talking about Max Pacioretty and if he was going to be traded. And he gets traded like like a couple hours after we uh, we talk about it. Um, and uh, yeah. and uh, he gets he also gets uh, signed. Uh, Steve mentioned this, but uh, he got signed uh, for four years. Um, Seven million annual average value. It's a little bit much for a twenty-nine-year-old, but it, it, it'll be fine. Uh, what's going on? Uh, sorry, guys, that's my phone. Okay, Um, the uh... if it's if it's another NHL trade, I swear to God. No, no, no. It was just my phone. <laughs> Um, I love like the game going off, and it's just like our oh, Timmy Panera traded. Oh uh, yeah, yeah that, that's definitely possible. Well, actually, so that's that is a good segue because another guy we were talking about was Tyler Sagan, um, um, and uh, he gets resigned on the same day that Eric Carlson gets traded. Um, it was uh, it was um, eight years, nine point eight five million, um, which is kind of. Um, it seems about right. I thought he would get maybe $10 million, but um, it seemed like after he publicly t- told the media that like he was disappointed that the stars haven't talked to them, and the stars were just like, you know what, eh, that's probably a good idea. Let's talk about it now. Um, so then they just worked out a deal. Um, this makes him a little bit richer than Jamie Benn um, right now, but um, just by... A couple of uh, thousands of dollars, but um, uh, two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to be exact. But um, three fifty, I mean. Uh, but it's uh, but yeah, I, th- I think it's definitely something that's worth it. Um, it is. Uh, I mean, it was funny too because like he was Tyler Sagan was making five point seven five million uh, per year. Um, for the longest time now and that was like a really good contract. So uh he deserves this raise and it's um but yeah it makes sense that he's gonna be in Dallas for eight more years and uh that's probably his career. um he's gonna end his career in Dallas probably. Um so uh yeah Uh, what did you think of this signing?
0: Well fifty five million of the seventy eight point eight million that is gonna be receiving is actually signing bonuses. And it'll be eight plus million in each of the first four years. And the lowest amount on this new deal he's going to be making is in year eight, which is 6.75 million. That's still more than the most that he's making on his current deal, which is 6.5 million this year. Um, I I feel like the Stars, and I mentioned it before, they need to sign Tyler Sagan in order to continue to win. And uh, Tyler Sagan obviously wanted to stay here, so that's good. Um, but, uh, what this is continued to build around the core of Ben Sagan, Klingberg and Bishop, because moving into 2019, 2020, uh, they have a salary cap of 55, a million two hundred sixteen thousand six hundred sixty six dollars. That's over 13 contracts. So eight or ten people need to be signed to new deals. They have about $24 in cap space to do that. The top line is going to be their main source of offense. And when guys like Klingberg and Radulov are up for brand-new contracts, the trick is going to continue to be, like I said before, continue to build around guys like Tyler Sagan. And you look at year one of this new deal, only Tavares, Price, and McDavid are making more money than Tyler Sagan. So you're definitely paying this guy. You're giving him a no-move clause. You're obviously investing into him big time. But if you look at his stats, I think it's worth the price of admission. Yep. Um, by keeping him around, he increases their possibility of a successful hockey team. He doesn't hurt them by going to another team, so he's better on your team. And if you look at guys that are making a rough estimate to what Sands going to be making on this new deal, we're looking at guys like Ryan Getzlaff, Logan Couture, Steven Stamkos, Anze Kopitar. Guitar, John Tavares, like first off, Sagan's a pure goal scoring point producer. Than Logan Couture, straight up. I like Logan Couture, but Sagan's Logan Couture is. Um, yeah,
1: I think I think Sagan's probably he's, he's like
0: not often. Worried, worried. Sorry, go. <laughs> oh, uh, um, I like you. Look at a guy like Getzlaff, He's not really a twenty goal scorer. He's only done that five times. But from a career perspective, he's on the same point of production level as Sagan. Stamkos is a better goalscurt in his career by driving Sagan at the end. I don't think that's right. Um, I think he's also been as consistent as Kopitar. I think he's proven that he is we're close to 10 million per year.
1: Yeah, I think so. He's probably like, in. The, I remember we had like a, just when we were talking about the top 20 centers or something, I think, I think Sagan's near the top uh, 10 um, in centers, just because of how uh, consistent he has been um, throughout his career. Um, and he also, you know, he's not even 27 years old yet. So, um, so it's like, it's kind of scary when you think about it that way, where it's like, he's not even, he's about to be in his prime or what's supposed to be his prime. Um, so, uh, yeah, in that regard, I think, I think it is worth it. And I think this, the, um, the stars would have been stupid to even trade him or, Uh, think about it. So, uh, it made sense that they did it like this. And I, I kind of wonder if like there was that, I think they were saying that they were waiting to see what Tavares got, um, before they did this. And I think this makes sense. It's around what Tavares got, um, maybe a couple thousand dollars less, but, um,
0: yeah, so if they they signed uh, Tavares and he's making an average of eleven million per year, yeah, if if he's a cap comparable to Tavares, they're actually signing him for a bit cheaper.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. So I thought like that meant like oh, t- like Sagan's gonna get like ten point five million or something like that, but you know nine point eight million for if you're comparing it to Tavares, yeah, that's that's pretty good. Um, let's get on uh, here, uh, guys. So the the biggest shocker of um, um,
0: everything was happening in the NHL. Uh, P. Yeah. D. Blackburn had a great tweet. The NHL's on drugs right now.
1: Yeah, it is.
0: And I, I, think that pretty much summarized
1: this week. Yep. Pretty much. Uh, but like we haven't even gotten to the most shocking, uh, news story this week it was, uh, Steve, Steve Yeiserman, um, who was the GM of the, uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, he steps down. He's still going to be a part of the, the Lightning, but, um, Pierre Brisbois, I think is his first name. Is uh, actually it's Julian
0: Brisbois. and Julian. Uh, he was actually Close? with he was actually with the Montreal Canadiens before Yazeman lured him away.
1: Uh, okay, so, so
0: maybe maybe uh, this was the guy that could
1: be the team of the halves if it wasn't Bergevin. And, right, like, if he stuck around. a I remember like the. Um, when the Bruins uh, fired Shirelli, uh, Breesbaugh was a candidate for the Bruins' job, uh, GM. And, and
0: and guess what? Julian Breesbaugh. Yep. He's been one of the architects helping Iserman with pretty much every single trade, every single draft pick. Yeah. And and he's been in charge of the AHL team and the Syracuse Crunch have been to a pair of Calder Cups, and they've won one already. Yep. So this guy has a pretty good track record. He doesn't have, you know, the superstar status as a player that Eisman has. But right. he's got the hockey mind, no doubt.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like uh, what happened with in Toronto, where, like, Dubes has a yeah, good track record. that's exactly record. what this is. It's, it's yeah. except uh, not as much analytical sense, I don't think. Yeah, probably not, but, uh, you know, it's still, like, in terms of actual hockey minds, yeah, it's probably the same. Um, But, yeah, and it's more shocking just because, you know, like, the Lightning are the best team, if not the best, or uh, one of the best teams, if not the best team in the league right now, so it's just strange that Steve geiserman doesn't want to see this through even still yeah like
0: like why right.
1: out of all the times to leave why do it now when we're right. about to win a Stanley Cup probably this year yeah exactly so uh so that's that's why it's a little strange um and shocking because it's like so it's like basically like uh, I remember back in the day when Barry Sanders retired um in his prime um so it kind of reminds me of that or like you know just like stepping down when you're When you're at the peak, basically. So um, that's why it's a little strange. I do wonder if maybe he, I think he did say that he wants, he misses home. um, And a lot of his family is in Detroit. So I wonder if maybe he's going to go to Detroit maybe next season or something like that. And that's obviously going to send Detroit Detroit Red Wings fans into a frenzy when he leaves a team like that.
0: You don't do it unless there's a reason. And those reasons are either to be close to family, which happens to me in Detroit, or you go back to where it all started, which was in Detroit. And Brodeur did this um, like just a couple of weeks ago. Like yep. He was with the Blues in assistant GM role. He had a lot of responsibilities. They wanted to give him more. He stepped aside. He takes a job in New Jersey.
1: That's true. That's, I forgot about that. But yeah, that is a good point. Um, so
0: that, that, that on top of that,
1: yeah, uh, Austin Watson suspended. Oh,
0: please 20- be coming back.
1: What? Did, huh? did, I I may have missed something. What did did you say something just before that? I think I cut yeah, you off. I,
0: I said, of course, that news about Brodeur and what happened with Brodeur and and him leaving the Lightning so abruptly. Of course, that's that's gonna fuel the fire in Detroit, and everyone's gonna be like, please, 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 mean this. This means he's coming back. Right, right. right. So well, well We'll see what happens over the course of the year, but when he says we're gonna we're gonna wait out this year and after that, I don't know that that means he's not sure with with his role with the team moving forward. Not just as his advisory role this year. This is probably more along the lines of he's not sure uh, if he's even going to have a role with the Tampa Bay Lightning next year. Not because he doesn't, not because they won't give it to him. They'll happily give it to
1: him. Right.
0: It's just whether or not it's the best decision for him and his family. Yeah, I that's, think it...
1: I, I think that's what it comes down to. I, I, I kind of forget when he first got the GM job, but I... Th- was I was like
0: 2010 yeah, when he was hired Tampa Bay.
1: I have a feeling that it was, like, one of those things that he wanted the Detroit GM job, but Holland didn't want to take it away or something, so he yeah. was just like, all right, fine, I'll go to Tampa, and then, and then all of a sudden he becomes a better GM than Holland is, so... Um, <laughs> I, I, think, I think
0: with Holland, like he's had a great run, yep. and Detroit really became uh, the place to be. Right, but I think the writing is on the wall with Kenny Holland. They need to go in a different direction. They need fresh face. They need new leadership. And, and when Iserman came to Detroit as a player, yep, like there was there was a certain. when they went again, where they, they knew they had a good team. And yep. then the fans started to, to cheer for them more and more and more. And you look at them going into a brand new arena, and there were times where it wasn't even filled to the brim with hockey fans. Like, like this is supposed to be a state-of-the-art facility. They're not even fans um, out there taking in the game for whatever reason. Right. So I'm wondering if you bring Eisman into the fold, you reinvigorate the crowd, you get them excited, and maybe then that's when Detroit
1: really starts to uh, get back into winning. Yeah, kind of like uh, when uh, Shanahan was on the the Maple Leafs or something. I don't know. Yes. Similar to that. Uh, Austin Watson suspended 27 games by the league for domestic violence. Um, Apparently he was accused, uh, I think, earlier on in this year. But um, it is a good news that the NHL is taking domestic violence seriously, unlike other leagues, Um, but um, yeah, 27 games is a lot, I wonder why the Predators aren't, like, even cutting him, that seems the strange part about the story, um, where I'm not sure why Watson isn't even um, there, but um, still on the team, but um, yes, (laughs) 27 games is a lot of games to be suspended for.
0: And all preseason games as well. That doesn't include preseason games.
1: Right, it doesn't. So, um, he'll
0: be suspended for all preseason games, plus 27 regular season games.
1: And they still might reinstate uh, Slava Voinov, uh, the NHL. Yeah. But yeah, uh, it should be noted that this suspension, Austin Watson will be
0: suspended without pay, so he's not making any money, obviously. Yeah. But I-, I was taking a look at um, what he's actually charged with. So, he pleaded no contest, um, to domestic assaults. Um, but here's the actual incident. So, he um, he was with his significant other after a witness flagged down a police officer. Uh, and according to Watson himself, in a conversation he had with the police, the pair were arguing. And uh, he pushed her.
1: Okay.
0: And officers said they found red marks on her chest. She said Watson caused them. And then after that, Austin eventually pleaded no contest to domestic assault. So he's taking responsibility for his action. It's not nearly as bad as the Voinov incident. I'm not saying that he shouldn't get suspended. He should right. face repercussions for his actions. But like Slava Voinov, we're talking punches to the face here. Yep. So Slava Voinov's incident, out of the two, it's, it's certainly worse than the Austin Watson thing. But my question is, okay, is Austin Watson a repeat offender of this? Is this the first time he's ever laid hands on his partner like that? Or is this multiple occasions? And and that's what the NHL doesn't say. It, they Like we all know of the incident where he was caught, but we, we don't know if there have been any other prior incidents. So maybe that factored in the suspension, we don't know. Yeah, um, But based on what the Predators are saying, um, uh, during the suspension, uh, they say we wish Austin Jen and their baby the best as they take the necessary steps to move forward with the support of the Predators, the NHL, the NHLPA, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and um, they say their commitment to amend is the same today as it was when we partnered six years ago with the mission of making Nashville the safest city for girls and for women. So... It doesn't sound like they're giving up on Austin Watson just yet, but if, if it's if it's made to the public that there have been more altercations like this, Austin Watson should not be on the team, straight up. Yes. I, 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 I do think at the same time, the NHL does need a written domestic abuse policy as to how they handle things yep. because they don't have a written plan in place. They just go in a case by case and they rule their own way. Yeah. I think you need to have, in this era especially, I think you need to have a written policy in place where it says, if you do this, you will be suspended X amount of games. If you do this, it'll be even worse. If you do this, it'll be even worse, etc., etc. Right. Like, there should be various grades of domestic
1: violence here. It still Because seems...
0: this, 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 I wouldn't call this as
1: serious as the Voinov thing. That's what I'm saying. Right, no, I get that. I mean, I, I was just saying that, like... <laughs> meanwhile Voynov might be reinstated um, yeah. but like yeah no I, I mean obviously Voynov is worse but it's still like this is still like pretty bad of what he did Yeah. so
0: I, like I said you know, I, I'm not I'm not excusing Austin Watson of what he did yeah, not, yeah. not at all I'm just saying there needs to be a plan in place that specifically states for each action what the punishment is going to be Right. so that they know what they're getting into when they do something like this.
1: True, true. Um, yeah, I don't know. It is also just a little weird that they're even, like, supporting him like this. Um, so maybe there is more to this story, but um, just from the public view, it, it's just a bad luck that they're even su- supporting him like this. Like, I understand, like, people can change and all that stuff and, uh, you know, second chances and all that stuff, but... Um, or maybe it's just like you know, maybe the uh, the woman's like somehow okay with it. I don't know, but like the just just like saying like we're in support of Austin Watson and his time. It's like he put it on himself. That that seems strange to me. But and it's not like he's like an um, an important part of their team. Um, you know, he's like a depth guy. He's a fourth yeah. line guy. At he's, most. Not 30, he's not a 30 goal scorer. Right. Like right. So, so in this instance, why don't you just cut him or like put him in the AHL or something? I don't know. Just like, um, it just, it seems strange to, to even like have a statement like that. Um, so by the way, uh, the NHLPA did say they would launch an appeal on Austin Watson's behalf. So this story is far from over. Okay interesting so we'll, we'll see more so you're giving me all this information that I didn't even know um, yeah. I was focusing on all the other stories um, so that that is interesting um, yeah. we, have, we have a bit of captain news here um, oel is the captain of the coyotes Barkov is the captain with the panthers Justin Williams the captain of the hurricanes um, also kind of noteworthy is um, Austin Matthews is not the assistant captain it's Tavares, Marlowe, and Morgan Riley are um, our assistant captains. Um, yeah, I don't know if you have anything to say on any of this stuff. I think OEL makes sense to be the captain of the Coyotes. Same for Barkov and the Panthers. It's a little weird to have Justin Williams being the captain of the Hurricanes because he's, you know, he just got there, Um you know, I would think maybe it would be Justin Falk, but even though I guess he's about to be traded soon. But and,
0: and, well, funny thing about Falk is they named him an assistant.
1: Oh, that is interesting then. But like, I don't even know. I guess I don't even know who you would even consider a captain of the Hurricanes. It's just strange. Maybe Aho or Teravainen. Yeah, because they apparently he's the
0: only guy they want to keep around. Or but Jordan. I, I think.
1: Or Jordan stall you need to have
0: a certain amount of leadership, though. Yeah, with, with a young team
1: like Carolina, what about Jordan Stall? If
0: they're if they're going to go in the young direction, they what they need is leadership, and yeah. Justin Williams provides that. And he's he's obviously getting up there in age, so he's probably not going to be the long term captain. Yeah. But maybe it buys maybe it buys time for one of the younger guys to really take the reins, and then when Williams is ready to retire, they're just like, okay, buddy, it's your
1: turn yeah. to take the reins. I think it's it's just only strange just because it, this is his second year, but like um,
0: second year in his second stint, yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I guess you're right. He was on the Hurricanes before the Kings, but that that I forgot about that. But I, I don't know. It's still a little strange. Um the other one, um to, what about Jordan Stahl or I don't know, Terra assistant. Oh is Jordan Stahl okay. Yeah. He's an right. assistant captain, yeah. Um Henrik Zetterberg officially retired um or quote unquote retired I should say. He's gonna be put on the L T I R um for the time being. Um the wings now have ten point five million in cap space when you count for Franzen as well as Zetterberg. Who are both going to be on LTIR? Um, so the Detroit Red Wings cap situation is fixed, all because of Zetterberg's retiring. Um, having said that, he um, he can't play anymore because of his back. Um, apparently, he went to a team doctor on the start of training camp, and uh, he was, the doctor was just saying, "Yeah, yeah sorry, you can't play. Um, it's not a uh, you can't <laughs> we we can't afford to have you." Uh, risk your your even further um, injury um, because of your back. So um, he is a Hall of Famer. Um, f- uh, in my mind, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, he won the Cup in 2008. He uh, who also won the Con Smythe that year as well, uh, King Clancy Award. It is a little upset, sad, saddening that he never got a, hundred, a thousand points, but he did get to a thousand games. Um, he had 960, 960 points, and uh, in a, a thousand and eighty two games. Um, so yeah, um, it's sad to see him go like this, but um, it is better than. I mean, it should, uh, that it is sad, but. At the same time, it's like, you know, the Red Wings aren't necessarily, it's not like he can, you know, at least he has a cup and he at least had a great career. Um, so um, uh, good luck in his future endeavors for Zetterberg. See, the thing about uh, Henrik
0: Zetterberg is while his, while his health was put into question, if I'm not mistaken, over the past four years, he did the game. So yeah. he was definitely committed to the Detroit Red Wing. but you look at cases like Daniel Alfredsson, where where may have back issues toward years, and then Back injuries can really mess up with your day to day life. Yep. And if you're playing for years and you're sacrificing. Ten more good years of your life because you have a buck come back as a result of playing play those fears—is it really worth it?
1: That's
0: a- it. Every gonna have a role with things, but I, I don't blame him for one step away from the game first over so everything else, especially hockey. And he, he's had a career, and I think he will be in the Hall of Fame someday. I don't think. He's think like Alfield will take him a bit of time but we do think that uh, he's been a great representative of his game Detroit Red Wings and for hockey as well I think um he, he doesn't get the praise like or Malcolm would get but um um he should definitely be proud of what he's accomplished because he's accomplished a lot and it's unfortunate that uh uh this is how his journey had to end but uh well, uh, I don't blame him for walking away at
1: all. Well, Malkin doesn't really get a lot of praise, but yes, I do. I do know what you mean. He has been underrated in that regard. I think personally, I think I would put him in the hall like first ballot, but I could, I could see him t- taking a while. I guess it depends on the draft class, right? Like right. He's eligible to go in. Yeah, that's true. Um, he it was also. I, I'm looking here. He was the seventh round pick, um, or so. Like that's pretty. That's pretty good. I mean, I always, I'll always yeah, think so of... Yeah, like so, like the diamond in the rough, right? Yeah. I mean, I'll always, I'll always, uh, think of him with, uh, Pavel Datsuk, um, because they were also, he was a, he's another one who's like, um, who is a late round pick, um, and he's you know, he's he's very good, um, in the late 2000s, so, um, yeah, um, and,
0: and I would I would put Pavel Datsuk in the Hall of Fame, and 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 both of those guys are equally talented. So if I put Pavel Datsuk in the Hall of Fame, it would be a crying shame to leave Zetterberg out of it.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I think is that Te- I think is Datsuk eligible to be in the Hall of Fame or not? Is he not?
0: Ah, uh, uh, well, dep- I, as I can't remember if he retired from the NHL.
1: Well, I know he went to the... I
0: think that's the key.
1: I know he went to the KHL, um, and it says here that he last played in 2015-2016. So, um, I don't know. Um, so, there, there is a possibility that he... So, that's like three years, so he may be eligible this year. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah,
0: well, it, yeah, I guess it also depends, because... Is, is he on is he on the cap roll um, with Arizona still? Because I think may, maybe it's like oh, a few years thing. after your contract is ended or if you're retired from the NHL. So that, that could be that another
1: could be
0: that could
1: be one too. Oh, I just saw here that Darnell Nurse got signed. Um.
0: <laughs> oh, perfect.
1: I know. Uh, Josh we'll talk Morrissey. About that the next podcast. Yeah, we will. Forget that. No, I know. Um... T- t- Where, where's the Arizona cap friendly page? Um, hold on, give me a second here. Uh, no, he's not on the, he's not on the Arizona coyotes pay roll. So, um, so I guess he'll maybe, uh, it may be this year or next year when he'll be eligible. Um,
0: it would be, it would be, it would be probably perfect poetic justice if both of them got in the same year as like and Korea did. Uh,
1: I don't think that's possible, but, um, considering that I think Pavel Datsik's the first ballot Hall of Famer, but, uh, <laughs> uh, so, so that, that would be an issue, but yeah. No, and it, it
0: depends on the draft both could be first ballot Hall of Famers, we'll see.
1: Right, no, but they can't be, If they can't be in the, they'll be eligible in different years. So if dad sucks, uh, first right. ball, yeah. Um, so, uh, I guess we do have some time left Robin Leonard. Um, so kind of like, uh, buried in all this other hockey news that happened this week. Um, what was crazy is <clears throat> uh, Robin Leonard, uh, wrote this article in the athletic where he basically says that he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and he turned to alcohol and, I think, anti-painkillers uh, um, and drugs to cope with uh, his depression. He also had depression, too. Um, and so it was so bad, in fact, that he uh, that he committed suicide. Um, or he almost committed suicide.
0: Well, yeah, he
1: had thoughts of suicide. Yeah. <laughs> he had thoughts about suicide. I don't know if he actually, he, well, he obviously didn't commit suicide but he um I don't know if he actually attempted it there there have been cases where there's a suicide attempt and you don't die what was crazy to me though is so this was in March what was crazy to me is that apparently so he told the the Sabres and then the next day they said that oh you can play like go and start which was nuts to me it's like Oh, I didn't just like have like a Halloween experience <laughs> trying to kill myself. Let me uh, let me play some hockey and get some pucks shot at me. Why not? Um, so it's, it's
0: therapeutic for my soul. <laughs>
1: right, right. So uh, so that was a little strange to me, and it's also it's a little unnerving to me too that like the Sabers cut him at the end of the season, and I assume yeah. it has this has something to do with it. Where, like, he, uh, you know, where they just didn't want to deal with it, which is just a shame. Because it's like, come on, man. It's like, just get, like, he can go to rehab or he can, you know, like, you don't think he had enough support to, to, uh, help him out there. So I, I wish, I'm glad it takes a lot of courage to, uh, admit that he, um, admit that he's, you know, he's, um, you know, about this whole thing and he's public about it because it takes a lot of courage to do that um, and admit it, and I think that's a first step in terms of recovery. Um, so I will be interesting to see how he does for the Islanders this year because he, you know, because he's supposedly clean, you um, and he also has a new goalie coach in Mitch Korn, who's supposedly the goalie whisperer. So I, I wonder if if he'll be like um if this will be like a a comeback story of sorts where Leonard is like you know it's like a feel good story of, of sorts where you're like oh he's he's actually good because he's on the straight and narrow now. But um so I hope I hope all the best for him
0: uh i'm just looking at some of the quotes that he has um he said he said that he was told that his detox was one of the worst um that uh, he, he um when he went to to the rehab scene. um and he uh, experience of going to rehab the one thing and uh, he, he describes this meeting in July where he was bombarded with questions about why he was a person or a teammate. And he, he didn't learn to say anything. He just took it for hours. And he was basically being told that I, he was a bad influence. He had less than one chance or I'd be buried in the minors and that would end his career. And um, he adds that it, that's, it's time to take a crazy person stamp from bipolar disorder. And he wants people to know there's hope and desperation. There's healing and facing an ugly past. There's no shame and in involving others in your battle. So, like you said, that takes a lot to do. Yeah. But you look at some of the numbers that he's put up. Like, there have been times where, say, percentage has been around 910 or 920. And he said that heading into this year, he's never had a sober season of hockey at the end, of the inning, which is absolutely staggering to me. The That's fact crazy, that he was yeah. able to. Put up those numbers and battle through all of that without any medication or, or, or um, like with, without the proper medication. I mean, yeah. And, and to be battling dog stock, like he was battling his entire time, and we had no idea until he came out and publicly said, Here's what I dealt with my entire life in the NHL. And, and, like these are real world. These are real world problems right here. Like hockey people are just as human yeah. as anybody else. They're just as human as the president of the United States or the prime minister of Canada. We're all human. We all have our problems. We, um, we're not per perfect, but we can get better by addressing that getting better and just talking out our problem yep. and, and it take that happen and be a willing and the, there has to be a willingness there to trust to share your story and it's not often easy for people to do that which is why, why I'm, I'm not right right now I need help and you know, oh, in in this society where, um, where crap, we can be kind of like sold out, um, you know, where job like like the real world out there is a brutal, brutal place, and so I I I hundred percent applaud Rob for Because, like I said, it's not a tough thing to, to do. And this could, could be a very big, have a silver season and just be clear-minded. Uh, this this could be a turning point in his NHL career, and, and he his career could benefit. And, and I think that's the more important thing, is that he's getting his life back. Yep. Not just playing the game of hockey, he's getting his luck here.
1: Yeah, I'll be curious to see how he does this year when he's supposedly healthy. And you do bring up a good point where, like, he ha- he says that he's never had he's never played professional hockey sober, and yet he still has pretty good statistics. I know it's like the win loss record is not great, but like his save percentage, he had like a 920 uh in uh, the 2016 2017 season. He had a nine twenty four save percentage in 2015-2016 uh, season. Even though he only played twenty one games, so it's like uh, it's just crazy that he like he did that all while he was not, you know, ha- mentally healthy. Um, and so I do wonder. I do wonder. I, I will be.
0: I'll be curious.
1: To, I'll be curious to see how he does. Um, in uh, in New York for that reason. And also, it's like, I, I remember, like, there were stories out in, like, b- both Buffalo and Ottawa where there were reports that he was, like, he was unhappy or that, like, he was just a mental case and he was just frustrated and things. And that kind of, like, uh, it kind of, like, makes it, uh, you know, I don't want to say an excuse, but it's more like it gave it a reason to oh, that's why he was a mental case, or that's why he was perceived that way, it's because he actually, you know, he has a mental disorder, and he has, or he had a drinking problem and a drug problem, so that probably is not great for uh, uh, team camaraderie in that sense, so... Um, yeah,
0: and and and, you do, and that's why you know, like people are so quick to judge, you know, because they they don't really know the full yeah. story about you unless you actually talk to them. Exactly, and and and, and that's why you know, if you if you don't tell the story, people are just going to draw their own conclusions about you, and and I, I think it's up to us as a society. You know, hockey players are human; we can't be so judgmental towards them because. And and this goes towards anybody. We don't know how crappy their day has been or what they're going through. You know, they could be going through, you know, someone in their family could be diagnosed with cancer or or someone um, they know one of their friends, you know, maybe a loved one is on the verge of death. Like you, you don't know the circumstances of what that person is dealing with. So like the saying goes, if you don't have anything nice to say. Don't say anything at all. And, and if, if you
1: talk to them. Yep, no, that's true. Um and then lastly, I don't think we have enough time for anything else. Uh lastly, um but we will just uh you you wanted to mention Humboldt. Um, so uh, they had their first game um, since the crash. Um, and uh it was uh, I didn't see it, so uh, if you want to talk about Humboldt. Well, it, it, it was televised
0: across Canada on TSN, commercial-free. Our radio station picked it up as well, commercial-free. Um, they were playing the Nipplewin Hawks uh, for their home opener, the first game since the April 6 bus crash. In fact, they are heading to Nipawin to play Game 5 of a playoff series. Uh, it was an elimination game. They were down three games to one heading into that game when their bus crashed. So just a very emotional moment for players on, on both sides. Uh, Humboldt scored the first goal. They ended up losing an outshot nipple win. And after the game, uh, th- throughout uh, the game, um, they also had this special ceremony at the game where um, they honor the dividing members of the humble Broncos, minus Ryan Straczynski, who actually said he, he wouldn't be watching the game. He, he didn't really want to. Um, anymore. And, um, it's tough because he, he believes that he should be out there. So, like, for a lot of these guys, it's still very tough and uh, they headed uh, to center ice for a ceremonial face-off. Two of their surviving Broncos are still on the team, Derek Patter and uh, Braden Camrud. So they took the ceremonial face-off along with uh, their former Broncos teammates um, joining them at center ice. Um, And um, then there was this declaration of principles ceremony before the start of the second, and then at the end of the game, uh, there was a banner for every single person that either died or survived that April 6th bus crash. And props to the Nipawin Hawks for actually staying at their bench for the entire ceremony. It was very emotional for a lot of people. Um, and uh, uh, this season is not going to be an easy one for the humble Broncos, but uh, they're doing their best to get through it. Um, and I I think it's it's hit the ownership hard too, because their president stepped down recently uh, to focus on family. Uh, Their assistant general manager days ago also stepped down. So um, this is an event that they're still trying to get over. And by playing through games, I think that's the only way they're going to get through it as a community. And um, they, they've they've outshot Nippa win in the first two regular season games that they played. So They've, they definitely got a lot of hockey still, but um, I think mental hurdles are going to be the biggest challenge for this team this year is just um, finding the joy in, in playing hockey and honoring this team the best way that they can because um, it's still for a lot of people, not just on the team, but in the community as well.
1: Yeah, um, I, I didn't see the event, but I did hear it was very touching and moving. So, um, yeah, but yeah, no, that is a good point. I think like the the best way to move forward is you know just keep on playing and um, and all that stuff. I mean, obviously, we'll never take back what happened um, in the bus crash, but you know it'll always be in the memory. But at least they have like a banner out. And I don't think it will ever be forgotten. Um, at least not in Humboldt. Um, yeah. So, so there's that. Um, on that note, <laughs> um, I'm Brett. Uh, oh, right. Social media. Our uh, Twitter is lace them up. Um, our Facebook, our lace up podcast. Our Facebook is lace them up. Um, we probably will, will get to doing uh, our season previews probably next week. Um, yeah. But. Uh, and we might have a guest coming over. We'll see. We have to reschedule and figure out the scheduling. Um, but, uh, yeah, so um, I'm Brett Duboff.
0: I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 138 of the Lace I'm Up podcast.